Well, I'm saying good morning to you too from Dundee. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm number one. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Not so the wicked. They are not so, but like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Psalm 1 has been a a go-to text for me um, for many years. I come back to it again and again. And each time I find new truths that challenge me and delight me. And I find it echoes with so many other parts of the Bible. Um, When you're in the book of Proverbs, you can see the wisdom of Psalm 1 coming through again and again. Um, When For example, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, so many echoes of Psalm 1 in Jesus' teaching there. Um, And because uh, it's a go-to text, it makes it difficult to preach on. Um, I have so many good things to bring out of this text that my difficulty is not finding what to speak about, it's finding what not to speak about and what will be helpful for us at this particular time in the history of our gathering, our congregation. The pastor is called to feed the sheep of the Lord and to tend his lambs. And there are two extreme errors that that we fall into. One is not to present anything tasty, um, dry bread and water, uh, hardly enough to satisfy hunger. And the other error is that you give so much food that no one can digest it and get little benefit, therefore, from it. So I don't want to make you sick by giving you too much, and I don't want to leave you hungry by not giving you enough. So my prayer is, Lord, just direct me, um, even now, to being able to draw attention to that which is helpful for your people, to feed your souls, to build you up in your faith, and to engage your heart in worship of Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 1, then. It begins with that strange and difficult word, blessed, or blessed. And that's really what it's about. It's a meditation on what it means to be blessed. It's a difficult word, blessed, to get our heads around. We know that it's a good thing to be blessed, but it's hard to put it into words. What actually is it? Often, bless is the word that we use when we're not sure what we're going to ask for in prayer. Lord, we say, Bless this sick person. Bless the work of the gospel in Charleston. Bless the vacancy committee. Um, Bless the preacher. We know it's a good thing, but it's difficult to put content into it sometimes. Well, another way of saying it would be to translate it as happiness. Now, blessedness is more than happiness. We know that. But it's not less than 
Um, all the happiness of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. All the happiness of the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. The happiness of the man that does not sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is, find, is in the law of the Lord and meditating upon it 24-7. Look at his happiness. He's like a tree that's got an endless source of nourishment. He's like a tree that's fruitful. How blessed he is when he bears its fruit in its season. He's like a tree that can produce green leaves even in the fiercest drought. How happy he is. Oh, everything he touches turns to gold. In everything he does, he prospers. Relationships, work, leisure activities, they all have good outcomes. That's what it means to be blessed. A blessed outcome. And at the end, when he faces the judgment of the Lord, how blessed is this man who stands and does not fall. How blessed is this man, how happy that he is numbered with the righteous and acknowledged by the Lord as his very own. The Lord's way has been his way, and his happiness is crowned with a deeper knowledge of the Lord. And being known by him. So you see, you could take happiness as, uh, as another way of understanding blessedness. At the entrance to this book of worship, the book of Psalms, we are faced with ultimate decisions and questions. How do we get blessing? What does blessing look like? How do we get the most blessing in this life and in the life to come? Psalm 1 helps us in that. So how do you get the blessing? Well, there are things that we need to avoid and things that we need to embrace. In every blessed life, there are things that we must deny and oppose, as well as things that we must affirm and befriend. Um, on the to-do list of the blessed man, there must be don't do this, don't do that, don't do the next thing, as well as must do this, must do that, must do this. If we want happiness or blessedness, there are things that we have to learn to say no to, as well as things that we have to say yes please to. No to these, and yes please to those. There is a direction, a compass for our life that we must not take if we want blessing in all that we do and say, in all the affairs of our life. So we have the way of sinners in verse 1 and wicked in verse 1, contrast, wicked in verse 6, contrasted with the righteous. So one way, the way of the wicked, contrasted with the way of the righteous, at the summary of the psalm. And what the psalmist is saying is, listen, there's a message being preached by the wicked, they're preaching their form of good news to us. They have a counsel for happiness in life. That's their advice to us. And they're saying, now listen to us, listen to us. We've got the key to what will work in this life. Come down this way with me. Um, sit down and, and make a final judgment and assessment of things with me. And this is what will lead to fulfillment and blessedness for you. Live for number one. Always get what you can, no matter what the cost to others. If it takes lies 
then lie through your teeth to get it. If it takes violence, then dominate all those who are weaker than you and step warily around those who are stronger. Bully the weak and fear the strong. That's the way we're walking down. Come and join with us. Look at this road. So many people with us. You have no problem finding fellowship. Um, and it's wide enough for everyone to come. We need to say no to that kind of good news or gospel or counsel. If we desire eternal happiness, we must not take a stand alongside sinners or sit down with mockers. Sitting down is when you come to a final assessment of things, when you make a judgment on on ultimate things, when you, you, you sit down, when you're finished with all the thinking about things. We're not to sit down with those that mock and scoff at goodness. And of course, the New Testament picks up on this, um, the, the necessity to say no. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do good. Now, did you get that? Grace teaches us to say no. It's a commonplace saying that um, grace, in God's grace, he takes me as I am. And that's the amazing truth. If God waited until I was good enough before he took me, um, he would never take me. Grace takes us as we are, but grace never leaves us as we are. And grace teaches us not to be satisfied with what we are, but to strive and make every effort to become more like Jesus, to purify ourselves um, as he is pure, to say no to ungodliness. Grace, grace teaches us to say no, and so does Psalm number one. If you want happiness, then there are things you need to be against. But it's, of course, in this psalm, it's not only defined by what we stand against, is it? There's a but in, in here which contrasts in verse 2 to what he's just said in verse 1. Um, if you're only defined by what you hate or dislike or are against, it's a very bleak way to live. And we know people like that, and, and they're not very attractive. Um, defining yourself by what you're against, that's a very narrow way to live. But the blessed life is a, an expansive life. It's, it's eternal life. It's good life. So what's the way of righteousness? What's the stance of happiness? What's the place, the final decision place that leads to blessing? How do we get blessing? Well, look at verse 2 again. It's delighting in the Lord's law and meditating upon it day and night. It's what we delight in that will set the compass or put our foot on the first step of the road that we travel in in life. Delighting leads us 
along that road. Delighting declares to what we really stand for in life, and delighting, what we delight in, shows what we judge to be of supreme value, of first importance. Now, delight is an activity that that comes from affection, from mind, and from will. To delight in something, you start by acknowledging or thinking, this is good. This is worthy of pursuit. Um, This is attractive. But it's more than just thinking that that's so. There's, along with that, there is an affection. There is a delight um, um, in it. There's a, a love and a joy uh, towards it. And because we think it's attractive and because I think it's important and because we desire, um, then it affects what we do. It, it affects our will um, when we delight in something. We take steps towards that. We pursue it, mind, heart, and will, mind, affection, and will. The law of the Lord is delightful because it's the source of our blessedness. The law of the Lord gives us good counsel for a fruitful life. The law of the Lord gives us a place where we can find blessing It's a source of fruitfulness. It promises security against the the troubles that come to us. It gives us a green leaf in drought. It gives us a weight of stability in the winds, the scorching winds of trouble that come upon us. The law of the Lord is a safe place to stand in the great judgment. The law of the Lord is the way of fellowship with Jesus and the Father and the Spirit is how we get to know him. That's why we delight in it. And another way of saying uh, the law of the Lord, it also stands for the whole word, as it were, of the Lord, the whole written scriptures. Um, And that expands the meaning of Psalm 1 for us. It it, uh, reminds us that this is the same thing, as it were, the same case for the good news about Jesus We read the Bible, the story about Jesus, and Jesus speaks to us. We hear his voice in it. How delightful it is to us to get Jesus' advice, his counsel. What insight and strength we get from him. The truth that he teaches attracts us. We we know it's so worth getting. Um, And here's the amazing, amazing thought. When we read the story about Jesus we find we are far worse than we've ever imagined or even admitted. And at the same time, we're far more loved than we could ever truly believe or get our heads around. We come to Jesus spiritually hungry and thirsty, and Jesus satisfies us. He is the spring, the streams of water. Of course, again, in in John chapter 4, he he says the springs that flow from him are the Holy Spirit that satisfy us. And in Revelation chapter 2, it's the river of life, beside which is the tree of life um, that that waters and nourishes the people of God. Um, 
Blessed is the one who meditates, who delights in the word and the law of the Lord day and night. Now I want to say one little bit about meditation and then move on um, to my final thought. Meditation, what is it? Is it um, saying the same word over and over again without listening to it? That's the kind of yogic, yoga uh, meditation. It's not that. Um, Meditation involves memorization, I'm going to suggest to you, and prayer. Now, the word itself is kind of one of those words that sounds like what it is. It's a murmuring. It's a, a repeating just under your voice it's it's um it's a going over again and again that's what meditation means now to do that it's difficult to do that without memorizing but meditation is more than memorizing because we know people who can memorize the whole bible and yet they don't know the lord they never meditate upon it um but equally it's hard to meditate effectively without some degree of memorization. Now, let's be fair to one another. Different people have different capacities for this. There are some experts that can memorize whole books of the Bible, whole chapters of the Bible. But if you're like average, if you're like me, then you have to deal with, at most, paragraphs, but most of the time, just verses. And so we read and a verse sticks out at us for some reason. We've never seen it um, uh, drawn to our attention in that way before. And so it's like we need to pay attention to this. We need to think it through. And, and so we read it. And we look around it at the verses and make sure that we know that it really means what we think it means. And then we, we, we recite it. We look down and read it and then we recite it um, out loud or if you can, or just under your voice. And then you look back down and see, have I got it right? Is there anything I've missed out? In all he does, he prospers. I noticed I missed that out in, uh, in my meditation just before the sermon. Um, is there something he's missed out? And then look back up again and try it again. That's at the start of meditation. So we read it until we're confident that it's in our mind, and then we start to question it. What does this tell me about you, Lord? Um, Is there something in this I need to see that will lead me to worship you and praise you? Lord, what does this tell me about me? Are there things I've forgotten? Is there something I need to say sorry for and repent of? Lord, surprise me with something new in this. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. That's the repetition or memorization stage. And then it also means turning that scripture into prayer. I don't think meditation is finished until we pray it. And so we pray the scripture. Let me give you an example, um, a couple of examples. Right, so take verse, verse 2. Um, we read, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I may pray this, Lord... I look at my life and so often I don't feel delight in your word. If I'm honest, so often I delight in trivia from the internet or novels 
or theology. Um, you need to make a miracle in my life that I start delighting in your law because it's your law, because you are the Lord and, and you've written it down and written it in our hearts. Help me to delight in it so that I may delight in you. That's maybe one way how I would start to meditate in prayer, how I pray that verse in verse 2. Or in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Lord, you know my ways. You know when I get up. You know when I sit down. You know when I go out. You know when I come in. You know everything about me, every thought that I think, every word that I speak. There's nothing hidden from you. Where can I go from you, Lord? Lord, I want to be known by you as one who in Jesus is righteous and not wicked. One who through Jesus' death and rising has been declared to be righteous. And one through the power of his Holy Spirit lives more and more a righteous life. Will you make that so, Lord? This is a miracle that you need to do in me. I don't want to hear at the end of my life what you said, even though you did many things in my name. Depart from me. I never knew you. Lord, I want to know you and to be known by you. Make that so. So you see, that's how I would meditate on verse 6, for example. And depending on circumstances, it would be different. The prayer would be slightly different depending on what is at the foremost of my needs or my uh, in recollection. So if, as is said elsewhere in the Bible, the word of the Lord is like a fire in our hearts, if that's true, if our hearts burn within us or are to burn within us at the word of Jesus, then meditation is the accelerant to that fire. You know what an accelerant is. It's something that burns very quickly and enables the rest of the stuff to go on fire. It's the paraffin or the, the lighter fluid that you use on the charcoal barbecue to get it to go. Um, my father had a dangerous habit of using diesel to accelerate the lighting of a particular damp and slow-to-move fire. He had it in a little teapot um, that he sometimes would, would uh, drizzle over it and then stand back with the match. Um, I'm just saying that. I'm not endorsing that. And if you're, a, if you're one of our children, if you're listening to this at home, don't do this. It's just an illustration, okay? And whatever you do, you never, ever, ever, ever use petrol because that will just explode, okay? So it's, just don't do it. But the point I'm trying to illustrate is that, that meditation, thinking through and praying through, um, is like that explosive accelerant um, where the word of the Lord makes a, a fire burn within us. Instead of just being an intellectual trip, it becomes spiritual life to us. Okay, the last thing to think about, final question is, who is this blessed man? Who is this righteous man of verse 6 or blessed man of verse 1? Well, is it something that, that we have to aspire to and never quite make? Or is it someone else? 
I suggest to you that we can find a clue to who, who this is when we realize that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are meant to be taken together. Um, if you notice, the beginning of Psalm 1 begins with this word blessed, and the end of Psalm 2 in verse 12 ends with that word blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, the end of Psalm 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, the beginning of Psalm 1. Blessed is the, are the bookends, as it were, of, of both these two psalms. Some people have likened Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 to two doorposts that, that, at the entrance to the, the worship temple, as it were, of the book of Psalms. You, you have to walk through these two before you can get to using the psalms properly. And so if they are linked together, if the blessed man is the same as the, the chief character in chapter 2, then we get the identity of who this man is. Blessed is the man, verse 1 of, chapter, of, of Psalm 1, Blessed are all who take refuge in him, i.e. the son of Psalm 2. Psalm 1 primarily addresses the people of God. When you see the word wicked and sinners, these, are usually, uh, these usually refer to people within the covenant, um, not people without the covenant, and to God's people in the land, not to those of the nations outside the land. Um, Psalm 2 it refers to the nations, the peoples, the kings of the earth and the rulers who take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, against the son whom he has appointed, against, well, in the fullness of time, against Jesus, the anointed one. We see in chapter 2, that this blessed man, this anonymous blessed righteous man, is actually the anointed one, is Jesus. And when we see that he's the hero of this, when Psalm 1 is really ultimately about him, and then becomes about us through him, then that turns Psalm 1 from being a moralistic or legalistic text into a source of grace for us. Jesus is the righteous one. That's why I asked Chris to read Isaiah 53, um, verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That prophecy about Jesus calls him the righteous one. And so this is the psalm that speaks about the righteous one. And um, that title is picked up by the early church in their preaching. In Acts chapter 3, 14, we have in Peter's sermon, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Or Ananias' words to Paul uh, after he'd seen the Lord, who said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. So the early church identified the righteous one as Jesus. And so then you, you back through Psalm 1 and you start to see this, he is the blessed one who walk not in the counsel of the wicked or 
stood in the way of sinners or sat in the seat of mockers or scoffers. Instead, Jesus delighted in the law of the Lord. And we know he almost certainly memorized huge portions of the law. He delighted in the law of the Lord. He was the one who was supported by those living streams of the Holy Spirit so that all his ministry prospered. He was the blessed one and became a blessing to many. He blessed the ignorant by bringing understanding and wisdom and the knowledge of the Father. He blessed the sick by bringing healing. He blessed the hungry by feeding them. He blessed those in trial by comforting them. He opened the eyes of the spiritually blind to see the light of his glory. He revealed the Father to those whom he had chosen. His ministry was one of blessing through and through. In all he did, he prospered. But then here's the great mystery of this psalm. It is about Jesus. You see, the logic of Psalm 1 is you live in the righteous way and things will turn out good for you. Well for you, I should say. Um, good things will come to you. you. You walk in the righteous way and in all you do, you'll prosper. That's the logic of Psalm 1. And by and large, it's true, isn't it? I mean, there are exceptions to that. Um, but ultimately, it's true. When, when the final judgment comes, it will be true. But in life, there are people who have what they don't want and want what they don't have. And they've lived righteously. And that can be the source of a lot of unhappiness for them. So if the logic of Psalm 1 is live well, do this, say no to that, and you will prosper, you will be blessed. Um, and this is about Jesus. The hard thing to get our heads around is that the one who was the most righteous, the one who lived most righteously, was the one who suffered most horribly because of that. If ever there was someone who was given what he didn't want and who wanted what he didn't have, it was Jesus, the righteous one. And if you're thinking that life is unfair to you because, you, because there's something you wanted and you haven't got and you've lived a moral and righteous and faithful life, you're nowhere near the unhappiness of Jesus, the righteous one. We see Jesus condemned to the death penalty because they took counsel together and conspired the wicked to put him to death. We see Jesus hanging at the cross for sins and mocked by those who were round about him. You are the Son of God, come down from that cross. The mocking voices. He didn't deserve that. What a joke they made out of his stripes 
and his wounds. He stood not in the place of blessing, but in the place of judgment and took the place of sinners to bear their sins in his righteous body. As Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. An amazing, amazing thing. His reputation was blown away like chaff in the wind so that we might not be ashamed before him. He was overwhelmed in the judgment of the cross that we might stand under the judgment. And then the worst of all things that he knew, in the darkness, he believed that the Father no longer knew him or knew his way, but had forsaken him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead of being blessed because of his righteousness, as he alone ever has deserved, he became the curse that we all deserve so that we will not be cursed but blessed. How unjust, how unfair, how unrighteous that the righteous one should perish for the wicked and yet through that become the source of all our blessing. It's when we see Jesus in this psalm that we are enabled to follow in this way with his help, that we start to desire and delight in his way. And it's my hope that you will see this morning Jesus and that he'll bring to pass a new delight in him and his law And so my prayer is the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. What is there left for us to do but bow down in worship and to say, We love you because you first loved us. Thank you for coming down into the way of sinners to pluck us out from that path and to put us on the way of righteousness and never to leave us but always to walk beside us, never to forsake us but always to help us. May we know your blessing today and forever. Amen.